Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Social Work Bubble podcast. I'm your host, Laura. Um, I practice as a therapist in New York City. Today, we have a special guest, our first ever podcast guest, Stephen J. Miller. Um, we're going to have a great conversation about the impact of infertility in, on mental health and also how social workers and even our education can better support this field. So welcome, Stephen. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak on this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I know a little bit about your background. You're um, a part of the mental health professional group at the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. You have your master's in psychology. You're in school to get your master's in social work. Uh, tell us more about, I mean, just your journey in this process. Like what led you here? So I initially, I will just say this, like social work was not my initial feeling or <laughs> what my initial plan was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny how life throws you like and puts you in the direction that you should be. Um, so I graduated my master's in psychology and it was more research-based um, psychology in 2009 from Northern Michigan University. And crazily enough, like I graduated and then got buried and then my wife had a job in Virginia. So I moved, you know, like from Michigan where, where I was going to school to Virginia. So 19 hours um, wow. away from home, did not have a job. Mm. And my wife had initially said like, Hey, there's this, you know, this agency, you know, like they work with kids, you know, I think you'd be good at that. Mm-hmm. And part of me was just like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like, it's like my whole dream was to be like teach at a university, you know, do some research. And yeah. at that point, it's what my dream, you know, kind of what I wanted to do. And, but I took a leap of faith and I went up there, like handed my resume up, like, I didn't even know they were hiring. Like, I just, I just said like, here, go, I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm getting a job, you know, like working with, with, with teenagers. Um, so I was doing day treatment in Virginia for, I did that for a little, like two years, seven months, something like that, a little over two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was a struggle for us because it was 19 hours away from home from family, from both of our families. So like, it was a huge struggle. Um, and then I ended up teaching or not teaching, but ended up being a case manager in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which was okay. home. We were both, you know, had family in Wisconsin. Um, and did that for a little over two and a half years. And that was working with kids that were in, involved with CPS and juvenile justice. Mm-hmm. Um, learned a lot. <laughs> that, that was a really tough job. Yeah. Um, and learned quite a bit. Of, and I really grew up quick in that job. And then from there, I ended up in, in, in more like as a urban rural kind of area in Wisconsin mm-hmm. doing crisis work, um, mainly with kids, um, but had a little bit of adults here and there, you know. Um, and now I work for children, I like long-term support and okay. stuff. So, um, but the shift was a huge, it's, it, 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 I mean, if you think about it, it's a huge shift in like mm-hmm. whole client, you know, like, and I just, I remember thinking of like, where can I make the biggest impact? Mm. And it kind of, and like, it's one of my favorite, this may seem like very, very random, which is kind of me. Um, I was listening to one of my favorite bands and I'm Chris McGee and they're out of Chicago. They're a jam band, love them. You know, like I've seen them five times and there's a song called Nemo. Mm-hmm. And in those lyrics, and like in the middle of the song, it says, be demanding when no one's listening because you'll always find an ear. 
and it says set in motion what your life's missing, you always find a need. Wow. And that just resonated with mm-hmm. me. And I'm like, be demanding when no one's listening. And then I, that's kind of how this all kind of like that, just with that phrase, and it's kind of been like the mantra, I guess, for what I'm trying to do. So that's kind of like what, you know, started the big snowball, right? And going down like in all these different things. So. Wow. And I mean, infertility is certainly a field in social work where we really don't hear a lot about it. Like I, maybe we've been taught about medical social work, you know, but that's still very either about like more like cancer work or like terminal illness, you know, end of life Mm -hmm. care. It's nothing really about infertility that I've seen. No. And I, and ironically enough, it was, um, and I don't know 100%, I may be very, I may be a little bit wrong and off, but my understanding is that the mental health professional group was started by social workers. Mm-hmm. And I know Sharon Covington, and I want to think a little Applegate too, like we're one of the two pioneer ladies. And, you know, like, and if you think about it too, like reproductive medicine in itself is new. Like it's only been around since the 80s. That's very true. You know, so when you think about like, cardiovascular like an all i mean it's some of the many other medical disciplines like it is definitely a newer thing mm-hmm. um but i also like i said thing i see social work as being like there's so many multiple levels of social work and i agree with you that it's not really talked about like even with when you're looking at curriculum for let's just say like it's like i said medical you know like social work or health and aging you know like you look at it and it's like there's no reproductive mental health mm-hmm. you know there's perinatal mental health but then it's like it's so I feel like we're, we're missing out on something here, you know, especially when in the United States, one in eight couples struggle with infertility. Mm. And even more so, like one in four couples have had a miscarriage. Wow. So like we're missing out, like, and there's so much stigma behind it. Like, I feel like I've, everyone I've talked to, like, knows somebody. Yeah. Somebody's had a miscarriage. Somebody's had done surrogacy, you know, like, and we think surrogacy is like this rare thing, you know, like in here, somebody's on it. Mm-hmm. Right. So Somebody common. Right. And I think it's people think it's not as common because we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which can make it all yeah. the more isolating to go through and all the more reason why it's important to have mental health practitioners be involved in that. Right. Absolutely. And if you think about a very, very wonderful lady, Renee Brown, right? I mean, that's yep. phenomenal work. I mean, like, and what I think it was in Darren Greatly, she said, you know, the only way to really, like, reduce stigma is by normalizing the situation, right? And it's really, and, like, how we do that is by, we talk about it. Like, we openly talk about, like, oh, I've had that. You know, like, and when people share their stories, right? Of, like, oh, like, we've done IVF, you know, like, like my wife and I did. You know, like, we hear other people going through that, you know, like, Mm-hmm. like oh you get it you know like and i think and i also think like there's this, also this misconception that it's a affluent white problem mm. you know yeah that's and very true. that's really not the case you know like it affects bipoc individuals it, you know like it does affect, but like i mean there are we don't always ask it right i mean i think about even when doing intake for for clients coming in for therapy like you do our biopsychosocial. Yeah. Do we we ask about trauma, but are we asking about reproductive trauma? Mm. Like, have you had 
a miscarriage, you know, at 23, 24 weeks or, you know, like where you're having to do, you know, I mean, so like the, when you think about like a woman that has a miscarriage, right. And has struggled mm-hmm. and then they get pregnant again. There's so much anxiety around that because people are most thinking like, oh, you're pregnant again. That's great. Mm-hmm. But there's so much anxiety in those what ifs, right? That does kind of like plays over and over, like in their head. And like even from the male perspective, like mm-hmm. there are, they feel as well, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. And it's so hard because the stigma is there and people feel like they can't talk about it. I mean, like you said, if someone is pregnant, but they're dealing with so much anxiety of what that process is going to be like, the fear of losing another pregnancy, and then everyone around them is celebrating, like it just can manifest in so many other ways because we're internalizing it and we're not actually talking about it and addressing it. Right. It's, it's interesting and like and i'm pretty familiar like with the iceberg right mm-hmm. you know like think about the iceberg right you know like, from an infertility perspective like you're really looking at like okay from an outside perspective here's somebody that wants to have a child mm-hmm. you know but when you look at below the surface you know like you're really looking at like the loss of the planned life you had like no one yeah. is educated on infertility is a possibility mm-hmm. it sometimes doesn't happen and like and nor do i wish that upon somebody you know like but you have like your life that's planned, like that you have in this mind, right? And I just keep thinking of the phrase and I think about like the nursery rhyme, right? First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes, right? Right. But what if that doesn't come, right? So there's that societal expectation like that, you know, especially with, I mean, middle and upper class, you know, like this, this is life trajectory. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. And like, and people like, like I said, don't talk about it. Then there's that assumption that this happens for everyone. Right. And then when it doesn't, it's like, you're blindsided. You know, mm-hmm. like I just, I remember like when I, I was diagnosed with male fertility, like that I felt completely, I didn't know it was a thing. Right. You know, like there, we, that's not talked about, mm-hmm. you know, Mm-hmm. And I know I had read um, recent book recently. It was um, by Renee Almerling. Like, Almerling, I think, is what her last name is. But it's called gynecology, but G U Y, um, and about the lack of like male reproductive health, right? Because mm-hmm. if you think about women, like at a really like when you think about like at an early age, like you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, like you see your OBGYN, like, and you're just periodically like you're seen. Yeah, there is not the equivalent for a male. So there's not room for that education, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and I feel like that in itself, you know, like you talk about, I mean, social work, educating people like, okay, this is a thing, you know, like, and not that I don't think it's going to take away the emotion from it because it is an emotional thing, but there should be more education and awareness. Certainly. I know I was, I was just trying to do some reading and look at different research that was out there before your meeting. And there's already limited scholarly articles and journals just about infertility in general uh, and mental health. But then Mm -hmm. if you put in the extra factor of male infertility, it's like virtually non-existent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is the one thing like when, when my wife and I were going through like, and I was one, okay, I was in mental health. Mm-hmm. I was working on crisis, you know, like, it's like, I got it. Like I got to try, you know, like, and I'm looking for information, like what is normal you know, what is normal for me to experience, you know, like, and when it's just like, you have a little bit snippets, like they tell you what male like fat really is and the logistics of it, you know, like, of like, there's different fat, you know, different levels and, and all that kind of stuff. 
But when it came to mental health, that like there was virtually nothing, mm. very little, yeah. you know, yeah. when, especially when you talk about like quantitative or even qualitative research, you know, about what was that male experience? Mm-hmm. Certainly for you. I mean, in your experience and the research that you've done and kind of the awareness and work that you've done, what are those biggest impacts on mental health? Like we've talked about, I mean, the trauma that can happen and the anxiety, what else is there? I think a lot of depression, you know, like there's depression and anxiety that kind of goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think that there's a grief, right? But it's not the grief that we all think about. Mm, Yeah, It's the grief like of it's invisible, right? I mean, like we think about grief is like, okay, somebody that was like old age, you know, like had passed away, we mourn the loss. There's something tangible that we can see, you know, like mm-hmm. most times, you know, like, um, and I think people get that, but I think when it's something that's the loss of what my life was supposed to be like, mm-hmm. or getting pregnant naturally, and you think about like even losing privacy, you know, like when you do IVF, like there are so many times like MC is scheduled, right? I mean, we have to do medication appointments. They're asking you about this stuff, you know, like, and sitting there and using like they do, you know, semen analysis. You know, like there's so many things that you kind of lose out on, especially. And then when you think about friends, and I think you mentioned before, is like when you're going through infertility, mm-hmm. you have a friend, like most of friends are like probably similar in age, right? Right. And you have, a friend that gets pregnant, right? And think of the ambivalence that you feel like you're really happy for them, mm-hmm. but they're able, like they're able to get pregnant, but then it's also like mourning the loss of what I want. Yeah. You know, and that's, I think a huge struggle and that's where it becomes very isolating. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to a, a podcast that ASRM does one. Um, they had one on mental health. I think it was in May of last year. And it was Dr. Sylvia Schneider Fox. I think she's out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, she talked about like her own experience with it, and she talked about the grief, right? You know, like if you, you know, think about a funeral, right? Or you know, people born lost, people are bringing casseroles and food, right? You're saying like, where the heck's mine? You know, like where's where, like I'm grieving the loss, you know, like I'm grieving the loss, you know, and even you think about you know miscarriage, you're grieving the loss of a child, right? And like, but then. There's this idea though, people say, well, you should just, and it's, it's ironic though, because like people that have gone through it, like you hear about that you should just, you know, like you Mm -hmm. should, you know, like you hear them all, you know, and I think people are well-intentioned, you know, with it, but I think sometimes people don't think things like through before they say, because I, I mean, I've seen people are like, at least you could get pregnant, you know, they say that with, with, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. which comes from a place of hurting right i mean like some people like but i think too i mean it also negates the fact like i mean like yes there's there's different kinds of infertility primary yeah. right or like where in the united states though like the rule of thumb is like for anybody that's like for a woman that's 35 or younger like if you haven't conceived in a year like then you should be tested for fertility issues and then if it's over 35 um it's six months just okay. because of fertility decline and stuff, um, mm-hmm. as we all, as most of us all know. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing, though, is like so. There's a lot of new research that's saying that the the quality of from a man also declines with age. Interesting. I did not know which, 
you know, if there's this idea of that men's just lasts forever. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's not, not the case, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you think about fertility in general, like it's always been considered a woman's issue. Right. Right. And it puts all, and you think about that aspect, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on the, on a woman to think like, okay, why are we not conceiving? There's like that body betrayal, like mm. you have reminders every single month. Yeah, certainly. And, go ahead. I was going to say that can play into, I mean, self-esteem, right? I've heard from many people, not so much dealing with infertility, but just like other kind of chronic illnesses or diseases. Like it feels like your body is betraying you, you know, like this is the way my body is supposed to act and it's not doing it. And just this sense of having to relinquish control, right? Like we want to be able to control our bodies and to have to know that that's not happening and having to come to terms with that. Yeah, and then there was interesting research and like it just um, well amazing research to be honest. Um, it was Ali Nomar from Boston IVF. It was like in one of their I don't remember it was other Meisters last time, and then there was another. There was three of them. Mm-hmm. She was a principal, I think, investigator on it, and she compared psychological distress amongst infertility, cancer, like cardiac issue, like heart attacks, you know, like HIV like these diagnoses that you would think like, well, okay, these are really high, you know, like you're yeah. thing, you know, like, um, and it was interesting though. Like she's like in her research showed that there was no statistical difference between the psychological distress of someone who was diagnosed with cancer compared with infertility. Wow. That's incredible. So you think about like that distress, right? I mean, like, like, and like you said, like with cancer, like, I mean, there's social workers on con- oncology units right. all the time, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, and the we other have thing too, like, so many marches yeah. for like cancer awareness and cancer treatment, so many fundraisers, like people know about cancer. I mean, it's similar, like it's affected most families as well, but mm-hmm. there's more openness about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that has to, like I said, it has to do with kind of like that shame and, and stigma behind it, you know, because you think about like infertility is that stigma behind it, but then you put on top of mental, mental health, mm-hmm. it's almost like a double layer, right? I mean, yeah. so to be able to talk about it and stuff just normalizes it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's even for males, like factor infertility, like 40% of the time it's due to male factor. Mm-hmm. And then there's 40% for female. And then oftentimes like 20% of it, it's from both, you know, like from both sides. Oh, wow. So sometimes there's all, I mean, there, there's sometimes there's answers to it, right? I mean, they said like, if there's a, a blockage, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's sometimes like there's an answer of like why this happened, you know, like, and sometimes it's fixable, you know, but there's also the, there's also the part where it's unexplained. Mm. And that was one thing for me was the hardest part was like, there was not an answer of why. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to come to grips with, you know, like to figure out like, why, you know, why did this happen? You know? Yeah. So. That's very difficult yeah. for a lot of couples that experience this. I mean, it's obviously not only stressful individually and, you know, those many things that we talked about, but it can be very stressful on the relationship. Like, from your observations, have you seen people like need couples counseling to move through this? Do you feel like they can do that independently of that? What do you think? 
I think some can. I think it really depends on, and it really depends on each individual couple too. Yeah. Um, I've seen where like, it's definitely needed, you know, especially when you're both grieving and, you know, I think part of the two is like, you're both grieving and sometimes you're not in the same area or the process of the grief process. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's recognizing that like in emotions, but then you also think about like the medications that these women have to go on and some men take medications, but not to the extent of like women. Mm-hmm. And the hormones on top, you know, like that mess with you, like that plays a factor into it. And I, I, I remember vividly thinking like our, when we did our first egg retrieval and I saw her that she had to be put under like, and was just like, looked all dropped, you know, like was mm-hmm. just waking up from anesthesia. Like mm-hmm. I remember asking myself, like, is this worth it? Is it worth doing this? Because for us, like we ended up going to St. Louis, yeah. or outside of St. Louis in Chesterfield, like it was five hours for us. So like we, there was times where we drove five hours to do a 30 minute appointment and then drive five hours back home, mm-hmm. you know, like, and we did that throughout, I don't know how many months, you know? So mm-hmm. another thing is like, you're taking off time, right? you know, like you have a loss of time, you have a loss of financial thing. I think New York is actually finally you know, like when you think about multi-levels, right? Macro mm. practice, like New York, I think just passed and it's like 19th state that has mandated in like fertility ins- coverage, like for insurance. Oh, great. There's only 19 out of the 50 some states that have that mandated coverage. Wisconsin's not one of them. They're trying to pass a bill right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's called the Building Families Act, you know, like they're trying to pass that. And I'm not sure where it is right now, but... Mm-hmm we paid out of pocket, you know, like yeah. the average cost of IVF is like 38,000. You know, when you come to, you know, look at like, it's usually around three rounds of IVF, you know, like in meds and then, you know, that doesn't include travel, you know? Yeah. Um, so there is like, there's some advocacy, you know, that I know Resolve, like, which is the, the nonprofit for infertility, like they do tremendous work on like trying to advocate, you know, for legislation and having, you know, coverage and stuff. Um, Illinois has got really good coverage. Wonderful. Um, not perfect by all means, you know, like it's policy and like, there's always going to be some gaps, but mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many different levels, you know, like I said, like that's really the, the big one thing about if you eliminate the financial hardship, yeah. you know, like you're also increasing access you know, to something where some people may or may not be able to afford it. Mm-hmm. That's very true. I mean, financially, just the burden that's there. I mean, so many people, it's not even an option for them because the cost is just astronomical. But I mean, you have yeah. to drive five hours. I mean, that in itself, location and even being able to get to a place that's far away. I mean, that even shows that spaces just aren't close enough to people yeah. in need of those services. Well, I mean, I'll, the one thing I'll say that like there are places in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. um, but one of the driving factors was we went to one clinic. Yeah. They wanted me to do this surgery, but they wanted like, and it wasn't covered by insurance and it was five grand. Wow. And I'm like, I just don't have that kind of money laying around. Oh. You know? So then we ended up getting a second opinion. Mm-hmm. And I remember this, and, like, I laugh, like, it's, it's a joke now because the doctor that we saw was a urologist. And I explained what the surgery, what, 
what it, like the, what it was, like what they were recommending. And he looked it up on Wikipedia. A medical doctor looked up the surgery on Wikipedia, and I'm like, "Are you for real?" You know, like, oh, um, they recommended me to a, an amazing doctor, um, like Doctor Sandlow. You know, he's at Freighter Wisconsin Medical College, and unfortunately, like right when we were right to about to start our first like cycle, mm-hmm. my wife's insurance changed. Mm. and it literally like that it was just like and it made us kind of like refocus our efforts and stuff and like we end up in in missouri because like their their success rates were a lot higher and it was also cheaper mm-hmm. i mean that was a big thing when you're paying out of pocket you do have that ability you know to look at like well where's the best place for me to go yeah that's very true wow so many factors to this and to even being able to move forward and, and treatment yeah. and, and someone's journey. Wow. Um, like, if you think about too, like from like, from the oncology standpoint, mm-hmm. um, I know there's a lot of movement right now about when you're looking at child or children's oncology mm-hmm. and depending on the age of like fertility preservation, because when you go through cancer treatments that really wrecks you know like it messes with reproductives we're both males and, and females yeah um so i know like there is some good work being done there mm-hmm. um but even for transgender individuals like when they transition that also messes you know like so if they have any idea of, like wanting to have a family someday you know but then there's also access to that you know because that's typically paid out of pocket but then like some people don't have access you know like okay you know, where they should be able to have that. Certainly. Yeah. It's great to mention though, that intersectionality that you're talking about, like, you know, with uh, trans people, people that have transitioned, um, even people just living in uh, particular areas and financial burden of that. I mean, there's so many layers to this, even being able to see what your options are. I mean, I, I strongly feel like it could be an entire class. You know, like it could be, you know, like really that, that, the hope is some days to have a class on this, you know, like, mm-hmm. and it's not everybody's cup of tea either, you know, like, and I know a lot of, you know, a lot of the people that have gone, through, you know, like end up in this field, you know, like have personal experience with it. Mm-hmm. And I think on some level, that's true for anything, you know, like for any part of social work, like we have some sort of tie, like we just don't go in randomly thinking, Hmm, let me see, <laughs> you know, like what this is about. We all have an idea of like what we want to do, right? And um, and like I said, that's kind of my hope. And that's why, I mean, like when I developed a webinar series in February, like for this February, which mm-hmm. we've had one already, um, it was really the idea of like, and kind of like the the idea in my head is if we're not talking about infertility and its impact on mental health at an academic level, where we're teaching future clinicians and even current clinicians, like how are we going to know how to best support people with infertility that come through our doors? Yeah. Asking for help. We're not, you know, we're not right. And if you think about like, even the procedures of IVF, Mm. you would spend probably a whole session about the client educating you, you know, like on, what that process is, you know, like, and different mm-hmm. things. And like, and, and like I said, like, it is a, such a new field, you know, compared to like the rest of the medical field. Like mm-hmm. it's, we have a really good opportunity to like to partner, you know, with this. And 
the one thing to think about too is, you know, like as our culture changes, right? If you think about back, way back in the day, mm-hmm. women were having babies at like 13, 14, you know, like 15 years old, you know, like right. at way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Now it's what, 30s? Depending on where you live. I mean, it really depends on where you live, but you're having, people are having children later and later in life. Yes. So the culture changes, mm-hmm. but unfortunately the biology does not. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're like, you're, you know, part of it's like what we're seeing is, we have this culture shift, you know, like, which is a great thing, but now we're trying to figure out like, how do we navigate this, you know, and, and kind of oversee biology. And right. That's very true. Holding the nuance and complexity, the fact that, you know, it's great. Like people want to have kids on their own time and, you know, they're trying not to give into that social pressure to follow this particular timeline, but you're right. I mean, the biology doesn't change and that doesn't change the fact that bodies change as we get older and yeah. our ability to reproduce in that way changes. Mm. that's very true for you what would be something in like college curriculums that you'd really like to see shift to kind of fill that gap there so I feel like there's some like I'll I'll just give the example that Mm -hmm. a guy had taken a human behavior environment class and the professor was was good you know like I like I really liked her you know like and it was nothing against her you know because you know you have what you're supposed to cover yeah and I remember like every time we use a textbook and I have paid for textbook, I'm always looking at the, the index, right? Like, mm-hmm. is there infertility in there? And I was like, and I looked at it, there was. And I was like, that's awesome. You know, like, I mean, you, you don't see that, mm-hmm. you know? And I looked at it and like, I was I, like, I literally was waiting, waiting for the chapter, you know, like, and stuff. And there was a nice case study that talked about a couple using IVF, you know, and not a huge stat, you know, not a huge, just maybe like a page, you know, like where that kind of talked yeah. about what infertility is and we didn't cover it. Mm. And that I like, like, I find that's where it got to me where I asked the question, why? Good why? Like, why is this not covered? Like, this is something that I personally have experienced. Like, why are we glossing over it and not talking about it? And that's where, like, I started questioning mm. why, you know, like, like I said, that question, why? So I asked other people, right? And so working at a county agency, like, there's people that have counseling in various degrees, you know? Mm-hmm. And I started asking, it's like, did you talk any of, about this issue at all in your education? And most of them said no. And more of, from an exploratory aspect. So the social network, like Reddit, right? I mean, they have, like, the groups, right? The social work. Yeah. And I put out a poll and it's asked, like, have you like ever had any discussions about reproductive mental health or had a discussion, you know, discussion or class like in your education? And 233 people responded to it, which I know Reddit's not purely scientific, but it's more exploratory, right? Mm-hmm. 92.7% of people said no. Wow. That's huge. Like never had talked about it, you know, and, and, and I'm not like coming here to say like, we need to completely focus, you know, like the works doing tremendous great stuff, you know, mm-hmm. but I think it needs to be part of the mix too. Definitely. You know, like in getting an education about it. And if anything, you know, like if people take a class on it and they have more awareness of it, like they may be able to have an awareness of like, okay, my friend's going through this. Like this is, what she like he or she might be going through 
Mm. This creates more in like, because there's people that lose friends over this because it, there's such a misunderstanding of what this is like to go for somebody to go through it. Mm-hmm. Certainly. That's, that's wild. <laughs> like, I mean, that. Yeah. So that's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and then think about it too, like, from, I think, like I said, I think people have the best intentions, you know, like yeah. when people are asking or get trying to give advice, you know, mm-hmm. um, the common one, you know, is you should just adopt, right? Mm. And the interesting thing about that is if people were going to adopt, you know, into a domestic, you know, if you think about domestic infant, it costs just as much as IPF. Yes, it is still very expensive. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not a guarantee either. So an adoption is a great choice. You know, by all means, and if that's what we, like if that's a person's choice for building their family, mm-hmm. right? We looked at it, you know, like and we were part, you know, for a little while, like while we were doing this, you know, for us it was a decision like we, we wanted to do IVF. Like and we had asked ourselves a question, like my wife and I, when we're old you know, 60, 70 years old, like, are we going to look back and regret, like, we didn't try for our own children? Mm -hmm. And both of us were like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, like, that's not the case for every couple, you know, like, everybody's different, you know, but for us, that's, you know, that was one of the things that we get kind of questioned ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it's, it's interesting with adoption, because, like, there was research, and there's a statistic out there that says, People like adoptive parents mm-hmm. are 10 times as likely to have gone through infertility infer- treatments compared to others that have not, you know, so like there's that more proponent to ad- use adoption. Mm-hmm. And they also screened or did a survey for foster parents about motivation. Like what was the motivation for you to become a foster parent? And 39% said infertility. Wow. That's so important though, because... I think so many social workers think, okay, we might only like, I'm not going to be working at a clinic. Like I'm not going to be working in a hospital, but infertility is in with all the populations that we work with. So many social workers are in child welfare and adoption and foster care. And I mean, right then and there, you're looking at, okay, why does someone even want to become a foster parent or an adoptive parent? And with that being a core reason, it's, it's important to explore that or even like talk about it. Yeah. And I think people see like fertility issues as an individual thing and not even really connecting on that deeper level, right? We mm-hmm. see the surface kind of stuff of like, oh yeah, they're adoptive parents. But why? Yeah. You know, like and not saying like that, like I said, like adoption like is a great thing, and not saying like parents because they have infertility, they had a previous infertility, like that there's something really to be looked at, but it's really about kind of respecting the individual, like in their journey there. Definitely. You know, like. And I mean, even with like current trends with, you know, child welfare, mm-hmm. the whole goal is reunification. Yeah. When people say just be a foster parent, imagine how hard that would be for somebody who's gone through like infertility, like and trying to have their own and having to reunify, you know, like, so that means think, things you have to think about too. Mm-hmm. Constantly you know, experiencing a loss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's very true. So, an important overlap. Um, in our last few minutes, we'll kind of talk about recommendations and kind of like what's going to look like to move forward from here. 
um, I mean, with your own experience, what would you recommend for people that are also experiencing infertility? I would say find a connection, you know, whether that's if with somebody, you know, like that has experienced this before. I mean, and, and, not, and not everybody is going to need mental health support, you know, like for this. But I, I really would love to see someday that we could have at least one person in the local area like that would have a really good expertise in this. Mm-hmm. You know, when like why in this, my wife and I did, they did, you know, so Resolve like has a virtual support group now because of COVID. Great. When my wife and I did it like, this was pre-COVID. So it was all in person, which is great. Like you had a support group in person. However, when it's an hour away and you're already traveling five, you know what I mean? Like it was just not a suitable time. So that, to me, it's always been the silver lining of this pandemic is mm-hmm. telehealth, right? I mean, it's expanded so much access, you know, like, and no wonder why we're seeing an increase in mental health because we now have all this access, right? So, um, and other things too. So, but Resolve has definitely some really virtual support groups. They have some for just for men, which is nice. Awesome. Um, not a lot of them compared to women, but mm-hmm. um, it's a step, right? I mean, it's a good step in the right direction. You know, ASRM has a wealth of knowledge for anybody that wants to really look at the medical side of things, you know, like in research and um, just like general knowledge about like what is infertility? What does this look like? You know, what are some of the mental health things? Um the MHPG is a mental health professional group. I mean, they have a directory. So, like, there's people you can look at your state and see if there's anybody there. Um, wonderful people. It was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made um, was to join this group. And they're just, they're wonderful people. Like, they really want, you know, you know it's the wealth of knowledge and it's really open and mm-hmm. awesome people. And, I mean, from a, a clinical level, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of good conferences out there. Um, and like I said, the webinar series, it's going to be recorded. So it's going to be on the University of Wisconsin mm-hmm. School of Social Work, Sandra Rosemount School of Social Work. We'll be on our YouTube page so people can have access to that so if they don't get to it. Um, it's, yeah, there's just a lot of good information too. And I think even from clinician, like asking, because mm-hmm. I would be curious to see, like, if we were asking the questions about, like, in our intakes, like, how, like, have you experienced reproductive loss like have you experienced a miscarriage have you experienced reproductive trauma because like you see about like birthing trauma mm-hmm. you know like that could be traumatic so like so like they're like i said there's so many levels you know like have you struggled with infertility yeah yeah uh, it'd be interesting had... to see you know like what the numbers would be definitely and i think you had mentioned this in another podcast you were on but it's very similar to when we ask about suicide right and when we screen for that risk so many people think if I ask, oh no, like it's, it's going to happen now. And it's really as the social worker being able to confront almost like the scariness of it, like, and that helps normalize it. That helps take the stigma away is we stop hiding from these things and we address them as they are. And that'll also help the people that we're working with feel all the more comfortable and build that rapport and trust even more too. Right. Absolutely. And you nailed it. I mean, just like destigmatizing, you know, the thing, because if you think about for me, like like I could like I could go out and like and look at a counselor, like a grief and loss, you know, like they may have some idea, you know, like mm-hmm. I have that knowledge base though, but for somebody that's not coming from that knowledge base of like a social work and mental health lens, 
what does it feel like for them to like look at go through a counseling agency looking at their local counseling place and like they're looking they're struggling with infertility and you see that none of them Mm. have it Mm. and the state of wisconsin alone and this is just wisconsin and like in some states have better you know access but in wisconsin there's five Mm. in the entire state two of them are in madison two of them are in the Milwaukee area and one in like Appleton, which is North Wisconsin. Okay. For the entire state. Wow. So that's where I'm like from, that's where my lens comes from is like increasing, if we can spread awareness, increase knowledge, like can we increase the number of providers that have, that are able to help people yeah. where they can go locally rather than having to travel an hour, how many hours, you know, like to get care, you know, for their mental health. Certainly. Absolutely. It's, it's such a key factor in people even wanting to pursue treatment, right? Is that it's accessible and that it's not such, I mean, when the journey itself is a struggle, when you're already having to deal with these feelings and processing infertility, it's important that those supports are there in a helpful way. Yeah. And the one thing that I will say too, and this is important I, I wanted to mm-hmm. address too, is like there was research in Denmark said that for those for couples that did that did, were not successful 25 mm-hmm. percent of them ended in divorce mm-hmm. so the struggle of like not being able to be successful with that was it's such detrimental that they 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 end their relationship mm-hmm. you know and i think that's really key you know to how much the stress impacts the relationship you know like mm-hmm. with the couple especially when they're, you know, unsuccessful with treatment mm-hmm. because it's not a hundred percent guarantee, right. you know, like you go into it and thinking like, okay, this is a, what if, you know, and when that doesn't happen, you know, like, and even research has shows that as the more successive, unsuc- you know, like unsuccessful treatments occur, like it's more depression, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of just expands and gets worse. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. And it's, I mean, it's, when that happens, it's so hard for someone to move through that on their own, you know, which again plays into yeah. the importance of social workers in these spaces, you know, offering that support to the people going through it. No, well, it's like reliving trauma every month. Mm-hmm. You know, like a woman to provide it every single month. You know, like, nope, not this month, not this month. And it just kind of perpetuates, you know, again, I mean, there's lingering impacts mm-hmm. of it too, you know, like, it's because you're successful does not mean that it goes away, right? I mean, like, my, my boys, like, are three years old now. Mm. And so they're giving me a run for my money. I love them. But, they, <laughs> like, there's so much energy. Like, it's, you know, like, they are really amazing boys, though. Um, and I don't, like, I just want to give my wife. I will say that because working full-time, going to school part-time, you know, like, it's just, she's just been a godsend, honestly, of, like, it's, it's such a huge support. Um and um, there's still times where I see it. Like I see a family of five, right? And I might say like, must be nice. Mm. You know, like, and it's just like, you kind of have that little bit of jealousy, like, and you kind of some feeling of inadequacy and mm-hmm. they still have that picture of like, what my life would be, Yeah, you know, like if I didn't have this, you know, like uh, on the flip side, you know, like if I didn't have this experience, I wouldn't be here with you now. Mm. You know, it's like, so that's kind of the other thing is like, looking back, you know, like, and being reflective of, like, what can I do with this experience? Mm-hmm. And this is kind of, like, what led to me out here. You know, like, this is something that I feel like 
I want to be part of something bigger, you know, like I wanted to be, make the biggest impact. You know, I think all of us as social workers want to do that. You know, we have experiences where we want to make the biggest impact. And mm. This was the experience that kind of felt like this is it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're certainly doing the work to spread the awareness. Um, before we wrap up, to your knowledge, are there any policies, legislation, anything like that going on that you know we'd be able to support? I know the um, Buildings Family Building Families Act, I think Wisconsin, that's current legislation that's trying to get mandated coverage. Great. Um, okay. So, like I said, I know that there's been a lot of campaigning and stuff for that, and mm-hmm. it would be a huge, huge, great thing if we could get that passed too, because. Mm-hmm remove some of the financial barrier you know like that's just one less stressor you know like that people are struggling with this you know like and it's not elective you know like there's a thing like it's a medical thing that's diagnosed and you know it would be great to have access you know like it increased accessibility you know to this you know so people would have a choice on how to build their family Definitely, definitely. And even, you know, social workers and people in direct practice and at the micro scale, you know, being able to start those conversations, you know, to, you know, actually confront these truths and these realities and make them not so scary, you know, and to normalize and destigmatize them, because that in itself is what can build to macro level change as well. It doesn't have to be macro first and then trickles down, you know, it can start with us in direct practice. Well, even one of my current professors right now is saying, you know, if you're doing micro, you know, work, you're still doing macro That's because right. you still got the policy that shape the, you know, experiences of the family, right? And the couples. So, I mean, it really played, it all plays together. So, um, yeah, so I'm actually really excited about that class because I'm starting to put the pieces together. Like, this doesn't yeah. make sense of like what I'm trying to do. So, um, Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Where can people continue to follow your journey and, you know, support you? So um, if anybody has questions, I mean, they have my email, uh, school email. So it's sjmiller, M-I-L-L-E-R 32 at wisc.edu. I'm on LinkedIn, um, which I probably have the most common name of all of them. So maybe a little bit more difficult, but um, I'm on LinkedIn too, um, as well. So if you looked in like Steve Miller, Wisconsin, um, mm-hmm. you should be able to find me there too. Perfect. So. And I'll link everything into the description on the podcast. Yeah. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed listening to this conversation. I mean, it really shed light on an important discussion that we need to have and continue to have in social work and in our education. So I hope all of you at home listening can continue to bring this into the work that you're doing. And uh, if you have any thoughts or your own experience with infertility or working with people with infertility, feel free to share that on wherever you're listening. And thank you all so much. 